0: See, the PCA Church nationwide. And um, uh, our Nashville Presbytery has five such uh, RUF chapters at universities, and we're about to have a sixth here at Austin P this fall, starting this fall. That's wonderful. Yay. Uh, so um, we are very glad uh, when the directors uh, and ministers of these ministries. Come and preach and lead and tell us about what's going on uh, in these ministries. Um, Sam Taff is the director at uh, MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, in Murfreesboro. Uh, he has an intern, Matt. Is that correct, Matt, uh, with him today? And uh, so, Sam, come and lead us in our uh, in our uh, study time. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. Um, my children as well, Finn and Charlie, so if you hear noise emanating from the hallway, that is uh, likely them. Um, my wife would have loved to have come. She's uh, on a kind of a reunion trip with some of her college friends, actually, that she met while she was in RUF in college. And so uh, just another reminder of how thankful we are to do what we do um, and really thankful for this church, this church from the moment Ann and I moved Uh, to Murfreesboro to begin working with RUF and MTSU has been a great encouragement. Many of you out here in the seats have prayed for us and sent us birthday cards and Christmas cards uh, more regularly than some of my family members. So um, thank you so much. I have a great family. We're just big and forgetful. So um, yeah, thank you so much for loving us and praying for us. Uh, school starts at MTSU in just over a month. August 23rd, classes begin. The next day, we have our first RUF. And so if you would, really think about it, just pray. Pray for us. Pray as Austin P. begins the school. Uh, there are freshmen coming from all over this state and all over the country uh, to MTSU, and some of them can't wait to get away from their parents. Some of them are terrified of leaving home. Uh, all of them need Jesus, and we've got the privilege of preaching The Gospel of Jesus Christ on campus, and uh, this is our fourth year doing so at MTSU. We are really uh, excited, but we need we need we need your prayers. Uh, We need God to pour out His Spirit uh, upon us and upon these kids. Uh, We're also really excited about Ruf at Austin P. Uh, You guys have met Austin and Anna Carolina. It's funny we actually overlapped at the University of Georgia. I was better friends with their older. Siblings, but I was really excited to hear that they're coming here uh, to Austin P and uh, look forward to recontinuing uh, a relationship with them. This morning we have uh, the privilege of being in Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is a beautiful and hauntingly clear. Psalm. It's one of those psalms that if you're not very familiar with the psalms, you might have heard this psalm. It's the beginning. It's the gateway to the psalms. And in in some ways, it's a lot like some of the other psalms. In some ways, it's very different. Some of the psalms are David and other psalm writers' prayers to God. And this first psalm almost sounds more like a proverb. It's God's word to us telling us that there are ultimately... This psalm kind of gives us the 30,000-foot aerial view and says, ultimately, even though there are many different types of personalities and giftings and paths that people take in life, ultimately, there are two paths in life and two destinations that those paths will lead. And especially in an era where we have so many different choices, almost overwhelmingly, if you go shop for a refrigerator or a car, it's overwhelming. And sometimes we long to have clarity, just two options. But at the same time, um, sometimes that can be uh, a bit of a reality check as well. And this psalm comes as that. Uh, It says, ultimately, there is a... Path. There's a life that is described as rich and flourishing and nourished communion with God. And then it says, on the other hand, there is a path that leads to destruction and alienation from God, one that will not stand at the judgment. The good news of this psalm is that it holds out the promise that regardless of where you are this morning or regardless of how you came to sit in the seat that you're in, that the promise of a blessed life, one in which the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that inhabits them, knows you and delights in you, and you delight in Him. The promise of that life, that that may seem so far from where you are this morning, but the promise is that that is out there. The promise of a blessed life is real. And so let me read for us Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank You that in our state of sin and wandering, in our state of instability, Lord, that You did not leave us Uh, to figure out You or what it looks like to follow You or trust You. But Lord, You've given us Your Word. Uh, Lord, You've given us Your Son. The Word become flesh. That we might have hope. That we might have instruction. That we might have the Savior who fulfilled this perfectly. And so, Father, it's our prayer this morning that as we read this Word, that You would not only soften our hearts that we might long to trust You and to follow You and to love and delight in Your law, uh, but Lord, that we would also delight in You and Your Savior. And we would long to make Your name known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Matt and I and uh, about 10 other students went to the Fiery Gizzard Trail, which, if you're not from Tennessee, I know the word Fiery Gizzard sounds like the strangest place, but it's just a really great trail, uh, kind of in between here and Chattanooga, near Mon Eagle, and uh, as we were going down this trail, it was amazing, tons of waterfalls and uh, rivers going through, and you see some amazing It's a 13-mile trail. We did about a mile and a half of it, but even on that, um, you get to see a lot of beauty, and we were going down into one of the valleys, and there was a waterfall, and the waterfall fell into this stream, and the stream was lined with trees, and uh, there was one huge boulder uh, along the shore that stood out because it was covered in roots, and, uh, you know, you think, golly, how could a tree, you know, I'm trying to be a gardener. And, you know, I put all sorts of great soil and miracle Grow, and, you know, I have about 50% uh, results. And uh, here's this tree that has its roots wrapped around a rock, an, an enormous rock about the size of this stage. And it's spread out. And I'm thinking, how is that thing even surviving it? You look up and it's as tall as the other trees. It's thriving, and this is on the Cumberland Plateau, where it's usually about 10 degrees colder in summer and winters. They're winters. They get get real winters. And it's freezing, and yet it survived these winters and these dry summers uh, because it was wrapped around this rock, but ultimately its roots fell into fertile, nourished soil, the, the soil that is right in this riverbed. The image we get of this blessed life right, at, right in the middle of this passage is of a tree by streams of water. Look at verse 3. The man who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Droughts and dry winds may come, storms, freezing weather might come, but ultimately this tree thrives. Ultimately this tree lives and grows and is nourished. When we think about life, your life, the life of your family, Isn't that an amazing picture? (laughs) Because this is describing a person. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water. That is a beautiful image of being nourished in the midst of storms. Storms and droughts might come, and yet the idea of thriving, the idea of being rooted, it really is a beautiful picture. It's the picture of, of the blessed life. And in contrasting that in verse 4, the psalmist gives us this image of chaff. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Some of you are familiar with this biblical illustration. Jesus uses it as well. But, but chaff was the part of the wheat that was not of any use. And so when farmers would harvest their wheat, they'd drop it through a winnowing fork, kind of a pitchfork-looking thing, and the grain that they would use would fall, and the chaff, hopefully, would be separated and it would just blow away. Chaff was kind of like the, the husk of a and it, you know, it, it wasn't of any use. Uh, it was flimsy. And the slightest wind would blow it away. Uh, the slightest drought would make it crumble. And, he, and so here you have these two contrasting images: one that is blessed in communion with God; it's like it's like being planted in a river. The other is like chaff, and then, and that's why he says in the end they cannot stand in the judgment because the chaff is weak and it is brittle; it cannot withstand judgment, it cannot withstand drought or fire. When life storms come, when drought comes when circumstances that we're not ready for come we can feel like chaff. We can feel like we're getting tossed around. And and so this psalm really does force us to ask ourselves the question when we feel like we are getting thrown a curveball, whether that's the loss of a job Or someone has said something to you that's really affected you and you're wondering if that relationship is going as well as you thought it was. You wonder if you're worth as much as you thought you were because they've really hurt you. I I don't know what it is, but when, when storms come your way, when sickness comes and droughts come, where do you attempt to plant roots? Where do you go to for nourishment. Uh, For some of us, when we feel like we're out of control, it may be going to something or someone that we can control. Sometimes when we get our our most mad at other people, it's actually maybe not because of something they did, but it's because we're mad and we feel out of control and we want to just latch on to someone and control them or manipulate them. Or some of us may go for approval. Maybe we feel really down. We feel really tossed about. And we will do anything to get someone else's approval. Even if that means trying to latch on to them so closely that we actually drive them away. What is it when life storms come that you try to find nourishment in? That you try to plant roots in? This tree is stable you're feeling unstable, wh- wh- where do you try to find? Where do you run to to find stability? This passage gives us this picture, and it, and it, and it forces us to ask this question. What if we were rooted in the law of God? What, what if we were rooted in God's Word? God's law, and and that that refers to His laws, His commandments, but it also refers to the the whole corpus of God's Word. Yes, His commandments. Yes, to be rooted in those, but also to be rooted in in who God is and and what God says He is doing for His people. To to be rooted in God and His Word is to be rooted in the God who says that He is the Lord. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. To be rooted in God's love is to know the God who says, I am the Lord, your God. To be rooted in God's Word is to be rooted in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. It is not just to be rooted in what God desires for us, but it's, it's to be rooted in His story. To have our story rooted in His story. Where are you planting roots? Because the promise of this is that when we begin to plant roots in God, in His Word, in His law, in His story, that that has the power to transform. It has the power to nourish even in the midst of great storms. I think it's important to point out this psalm does not say that if we are blessed that we won't experience storms or droughts. Notice what the passage says. Uh, It says that this tree yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Uh, there will be storms. There will be seasons that will cause most things to wither. And and, and the the psalmist here is not promising it. If you read the rest of the psalms, you know this. Uh, The psalmist here is not saying that the blessed man or woman will have it easy and that it will always be spring. No, that's not what the psalm here is saying. But he is saying that there is one hope for us in the midst of these droughts, in the midst of these storms. That's also saying that there's seasons. Leaf produces in season. There are seasons of growth. Um, It's not always going to be 0 to 60 for the Christian. Um, Just as there will be storms, there will be seasons of life um, and some of you are in them right now, or you're growing and delighting, and that is so wonderful. But all of us can probably remember a time where there has been a season of hardship, maybe even a season of doubt. And and the hope there, this psalmist is saying, is not in our faith, but in the one in whom we plant our roots. That's That's where this psalmist is leading us. And, and, and so, so that, that's, the, that's the first thing we see in this passage is that the, the blessed life is rooted. This is the picture, but, but you might be wondering, okay, well that's a great, beautiful picture, but, but how do I get there? Maybe this morning you don't feel like a tree planted by streams of water that provide never-ceasing nourishment and never-ceasing streams of life-giving water. One of the things this psalm tells us is is that we have to understand. If we're to understand what the blessed life is, one of the things that we have to understand about ourselves and every other person on this planet is that we are a people who are molded. Verse 1 and 2, get at this. Look at this passage. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is. Is in the law of the Lord. There's a progression there in verse one. Um, this is describing someone. He's describing the. He's telling us what the blessed man is not. And and what he's saying is is he's saying that this is someone who's been transformed. Notice the progression. At first, they're walking in the counsel of the wicked. They're listening to this person's counsel. Uh, then they begin to do the way of the sinners. Uh, first they begin to listen. Uh, then they begin to kind of do the things they do. And then lastly, they begin to seat. They begin to sit at their seat. Finally, they have a seat at the table. They go from kind of listening to their counsel to standing in their ways to sitting at their seat. You know, it's it's... The image that came to mind here is of, you know, when we're younger and there's like a cool group, and you want to be in the cool group. I don't know whether that's, you know, maybe it was in your school or church. And so, okay, well, those people seem to have fun, and they seem to be cool or popular. And so, well, okay, I need to begin listening. What are they doing? What kind of jokes are they saying? Okay, yeah, all right, I can do that. And then we kind of begin to do... Those things maybe, and maybe you get to, be, to begin like to tell those jokes, and then finally, you know, you've arrived when you maybe are able to sit with them at the lunch table. You've got a seat. You've been accepted. Uh, you are one of them, and that's a pretty good image of junior high. But you know, it's in some ways it's not. We we have more sophisticated ways now, but we we can be tempted to do certain things just like that. There are still inner rings as C.S. Lewis that we would long to get into. And we will find ourselves saying things and doing things so that these people will look on us with approval. Why? Because we are a people who are being molded and we are being shaped. That's what this psalm says, that we are a people who are being molded. We're being shaped. We're all listening to a voice. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose approval and acceptance do you long for? Whose table do you want a seat at? What's the group of people that you would really hope one day they'll look at you and say, he's one of us? Or yeah, we've got his back. Or, yeah, we really approve of what he's doing and we really admire him. Whose voice ultimately are you listening to? This psalm is not saying don't be friends with people who do things that are bad or have different views than you. But you know what? This, This passage does afford us the opportunity to step back from those relationships and just ask, how is this relationship affecting my walk with Jesus? Is this leading me to love God and his word more? Or am I actually being shaped by them in such a way that's actually driving me away from Jesus and it's actually driving me away from his people? It affords us to ask the opportunity to ask ourselves, what counsel are we listening to and where is it leading? It really does, when it gives us this 30,000 foot aerial view, it really does force us to look, okay, where is this leading ultimately? And if you're a Christian here this morning, what this means is that for the Christian, part of being a Christian means that there will be certain things we say no to. And he starts off with the blessed life and he's going to jump into like what the blessed life is all about. and he begins the, It begins with saying no to certain things. There might be certain relationships that we need to step back from. Maybe not abandon, but maybe. There may be certain situations that we need to bring someone we trust in and say, you know what, I've got this going on in my life and I really feel tempted in some ways. Um, And I need your wisdom. And and I need your prayer. It might mean asking a good friend or a spouse or someone you trust and say, hey, will you hold me accountable? I am so tempted to complain. Following Jesus and, and, and rooting your life in His Word might mean saying, no to the temptation every time we want to grumble or complain. It might mean saying no every time we really want to gossip about that person. Uh, It might mean saying no to certain situations or certain websites. But the blessed life is not just merely a saying no it's not merely a running away from the one the life that leads to communion with God is is actually not merely a saying yes but it's notice how he describes it it is a delight the contrasting life of the chaff and of the wicked is not merely one that just says yes and just does the right things but there's actually a different motivation Notice how the the psalmist describes it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person doesn't just read God's Word, but he delights in it. Think of a young engaged couple or a young dating couple. They want to be together. The guy wants to know about her. He wants to know different ways he can make her laugh and different ways that he can bring joy to her. They want to be together. They want to exalt each other. The Christian, the blessed man, wants to be with Jesus, to abide in Him and He in us. There's a different motivation. There's a delighting. And there's this delight. Notice the second half of verse 2 leads him to meditate. The delight in God leads us to meditate on Him. It kind of goes both ways, too, doesn't it? And this this meditating is not just a reading, but it's, as, as one of my pastor friends, Nate Sheridan, said, he said, to meditate, I love this, is to enter the text and have the text enter you and shape you. To meditate is to enter into the text, to enter into the Bible and have the Bible enter us to have our priorities reoriented. That we might have our desires reoriented. See, God is not just after our behavior. He's after our heart. He really is. He doesn't want us to just obey Him. If you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what is He getting at every time? Not just people that don't do certain things, but the heart. He's getting at the heart from which those actions proceed. And so so the desire of this psalm is, is to have a people who live as we were created to live. And we were created to live in communion with God. To desire what He desires. One author put it this way, to be conformed to the image of His Son is not only to think God's thoughts after Him, but to desire what God desires. This requires the recalibration of our heart and our heart habits and the recapturing of our imagination this happens when god's word begins to orient our imagination and our desires and our goals and so it's not just a thinking it's not just a reading but it's a it's a meditating that leads to delighting and it's a delighting that leads to meditating and 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 and, and sometimes we see that don't we some of those seasons of growth. There's been some seasons, and I and I hope this is true for you. When you read God's word, it has that effect. honestly that, that it actually it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it convicts us of our sin, and it and it makes us want to obey Him, and it makes us want to trust Him. And at the same time, when we when we are with Jesus and we're praying to Him, doesn't it make us want to read about Him? And when we read about Him, it makes us want to praise. Him for what He has done and for His grace and His mercy. It increases our delight. When you read this passage, it is beautiful. It is. Um, The other effect of this passage is that it is convicting. Uh, Because if you're like me, you read this passage and you see ways in which you have listened to other voices or maybe to ways in which you have not listened to all of God's Word perfectly. And, and, and here's, the, here's the truth. You may know people, I hope you're blessed enough to know people, that when you read this passage, you might think, man, this reminds me of so-and-so. And God's really used that person in my life. But you know what? We don't know anyone who follows this passage perfectly. There never has been except for one. The hope of this passage is not that we can grasp this passage perfectly. The hope of this passage drives us to Jesus because this passage really is beautiful. And I really hope it drives us to the light in Jesus and long to trust him more and more and longed to please our Heavenly Father, but ultimately our hope is not in our ability to do that. Ultimately, our hope is that there was one man whose whole life was governed and oriented around pleasing his Father, and he never failed to do that. And when he was tempted with sin, when Satan himself came to him, he responded word for word with Scripture. Scripture. Jesus' whole life was delighting in God's Word and sharing God's Word. And so our hope this morning is in Him. And, And not only in the fact that He did that, but that He, by His grace and through the pouring out of His Spirit, is molding you more and more into this picture. And when you see that, when you see that Jesus... On your behalf, has obeyed this passage perfectly. Doesn't that make you long to be with Him? Doesn't that make you long to read about Him and trust the triune God who did not look at us in our helpless estate but sent His Son, the Word, become flesh that we might not only be reunited to the Father but that we might be molded more and more into the image of his Son who trusted God perfectly. And and so here's my encouragement to you. Find time to be in God's Word. Isn't that such an amazingly simple application? I know you're thinking about something profound. No. In an age where we are so easily distracted by so many things, carve out time where you're away from things that you know distract you, whether that's a television or a phone. Maybe ask someone in this church, hey, I have children, and I can't stop not thinking or doing something for them. Can you, would, you, would you mind giving me some time this week that I could just read and pray? Um, and, and, and here's what God promises. When we do that, when we enter His Word, it, it doesn't return void. He actually works through this that we might become more and more like His Son. That we might flourish and that we might be blessed. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You, God, that the Word did become flesh and He dwelt among us. And that for the joy set before Him, our Savior went to the cross. And even on the cross, speaking Your Word, rehearsing Your Word, living out Your promises. God, there are so many things vying for our attention in this world, but ultimately, Lord, we know that none of them can offer us salvation from our sin and our rebellion and our shame. And so, God, we pray Lord, that we would see You for who You are, that we would see our sin and the only refuge from that in this world, and that we would draw near to You. God, we ask this, that we might flourish and grow in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.